the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Today we're going to come to one of the most hotly debated and difficult portions of Scripture in the New Testament. And as you know, there are two principal interpretations of evangelical Christianity, one of them being Calvinism and the other being Arminianism. And one of the principal tenets of Arminianism is the denial of the perseverance of the saints, or what is more commonly referred to as the denial of the security of the believer. The Arminian position rests principally on the scriptures we're going to look at today. The security of the believer is about a new birth that cannot be reversed. A new creation that is made of a new spirit in union with the Spirit of God. A new creation that cannot be undone. The old dead man, the old man as it were, the man of Adam, the child of Adam, went to the grave, died, is no more. And you are not that man. Nor can you return to be that man. There is no danger of that man resurrecting. The only danger you have is imitating him. That being said, we're going to take a very close look at these scriptures so we can know what the Spirit of God is actually communicating to us through them. And last time we visited Hebrews, we looked at chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. And in those verses, in fact, from chapter 5, verse 11, all the way through Hebrews 6, verse 3, the author is addressing spiritual maturity. He is passionate. He is exhorting these Hebrews to maturity. Because, as I said before, we were made to mature. We weren't made any more than a baby is born to remain a baby. We were never created by our God to sit and not mature. We were created for maturity. And he has, in fact, removed every obstacle 
to our maturity. The only thing that he hasn't changed, the only thing that he has not affected is our free will. And we live this life by faith and maturity requires the exercise of faith. Because we're not maturing in the flesh. If we were, we could just eat and grow and mature, right? Some of us do more growing than maturing. But we don't mature according to the flesh. We mature according to the spirit. That is an infinite maturity. Because we're maturing unto an infinite God. And the whole process starts right here on this planet. Now, what that means to you and I is that you do not encounter anything in this life that does not have its purposes in eternity. Everything that you're going through, everything that you encounter, everything that you approach in this life or approaches you, you know that God has allowed and he's allowed it for one and one only purpose, and that is to grow you mature you in who you are. Again, is who you are temporal or eternal? It's eternal. So here's the thing. Everything in this life has purpose, but we already know what that purpose is. It is to grow us. It is to expand us. It is to literally allow us to grow, not to become something, Not to acquire something, not to seek after something, not to strive towards something, but literally to expand in all that God has given us through the completed work of Christ Jesus that was literally placed in union with our spirit and is now our blessing. The maturation of the Christian is simply you growing in the abundance of all that Christ is. I am come that you might have life, with a capital L, and that you might have it to the full, or what? Abundantly, right? You will not know that abundance unless you yield to the Spirit of God walk in determined faith, and seek to grow, mature, expand in all that he has given you in his life. Now, last time we said that spiritual maturity is a progressive work that is realized in relationship. It cannot be achieved by externals, but it is evidenced by the manifestation of the character of Christ. So, As I yield to the character of Christ, which, by the way, is in me, it is a part of who I am. Jesus could not have told us to love an enemy if we didn't have the love of Christ within us, could he? He could not exhort us to do all the things that he exhorts us to do unless we had a supernatural life within us in order to accomplish it. So we live this life very much in the same way that he lived it, doing nothing of ourselves, by ourselves, or from ourselves, but in everything, yielding to the power and the life of Christ within us, that those things might be manifested through us. Now, here's the thing, guys. If you don't feel like you're maturing, if you're not experiencing the maturing work of the Spirit of God, it's not because... 
you are left out of the out of the chain doesn't mean that God has refused to mature you. Doesn't mean that you haven't read the right scripture. Doesn't mean that you haven't been to the right Bible study. It means that your soul, through which you would experience all of these things, has not been yielded so that the life of Christ that is in your spirit could push through it and extend itself beyond you. That's how you know it. I am commanded to love an enemy so that I might know the love of God. Because I do not have the love of God apart from God, do I? I'm commanded to love my wife so that I might know the love of God and might know his love. Men, are you feeling loved? Love your wife if you're not. Everything that God has commanded me to do must be expressed through the soul. That's how I know it's there. To give, to love, to nurture, to bless. To be all of those things. Bo, you couldn't be a minister of God unless you express the ministry of Christ. And if you don't, you don't know you're ministering. What's more, people aren't ministered to. The same is true for each of us. This maturity is brought about by living in the same way Christ did upon the earth. Doing nothing, saying nothing, aspiring to nothing but an intimate relationship with his spirit. And if you aspire to that intimacy, if you aspire to that relationship, then all of those things will be added unto you. They will be your expression. They will be true of your life. This is the fruit of determined faith. A Christian who sees themselves as spiritual rather than a body or a flesh. A Christian who will not allow their souls to become lethargic towards the things of God or the obedient practice of living in truth. They make the exercise of their spiritual being more important than the exercise of their flesh. They no longer weigh their devotion by convenience or the affinities of the flesh, but they determine to press on toward the higher calling as a new creation. A Christian who is not determined in faith and in practice, who is lethargic and ambivalent towards the things of God and the people of God, is maintaining, hear me, an apostate soul. An apostate soul that has no appetite for the obedience of truth. The things of God are not savory to them any longer. And if they attach themselves to it, it is for what it offers their flesh. It is not for what God intended to build them up in. An apostate soul is a soul that stands off from the truth. A mind, will, and emotion that keeps itself somewhat separate that might profess the truth, but never allow itself to fully embrace it. Christian, we're not created for this world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. We're created for eternity. If we try to live any other way, we live contrary to the truth of us. And we forsake all that God has created us for. We set aside our created purpose. We were made to grow and expand in the wonders of our glorious God. We should be, fit, we should be 
done with filling our bellies with the pods of this world. We should return to the table of our father and eat from his hand. Jesus said that we have entered through the narrow gate whose path is difficult to travel. That's in John. He says we have entered through the narrow gate whose path is difficult to travel. And so many Christians are going, oh, I must have this wrong. It shouldn't be this tough. I must have this They've taken the wrong road somewhere. I should have married this guy. I should have gone to this school. I should have had this job. But we should not despair over the journey. For the reward of life, the abundance, is not in the path, but in the communion we share with our Lord. And how do we know this communion? Moment by moment living in determined faith and obedience, ever expanding in the reality of our union with the Spirit. Maturity is the process of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of His person more strongly and more clearly, and of coming to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers, so that you so may so share in his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death. Christian maturity is knowing that Christ dwells in your hearts through faith, living in the reality of that knowing, And having a deeply rooted and securely grounded love in him. And being fully capable of comprehending the width and height and depth of his love. Fully experiencing that amazing endless love. And knowing practically through personal experience the love of Christ. Which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience in order to be filled up throughout your being to all the fullness of God and have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives, completely filled and flooded with God itself. What grand words Paul speaks. This is how Paul defines maturity. Being flooded and filled with God himself in chains... In prison, shipwrecked, beaten, for that, for those things, for Paul, they were just distractions. Paul defined his life by something so much bigger and greater than the condition of his flesh. He was never inhibited by this earthly veil that he wore. Should have been destroyed over and over again, and God propped it up like a like a weak tent and kept it going. This is the maturation that God intends for the new creation, and his intention need only be met by determined faith and yielded obedience. Now let's return to our text and look at the progression of thought. The author is pressing the Hebrews to discipline their souls in faith, not to return to the elementary principles of messianic prophecies and mosaic rituals. 
The author in chapter 5, verses 11 through 14 tells them, I have a lot to say to you concerning the Melchizedekian high priesthood of Christ, but you're just too immature, self-satisfied in your Christian life to understand or even want to hear it. So dangerous, so easy to get there. Comfort can be the biggest hook. Remembering this, the Spirit of God here is describing their spiritual condition. This is not just some author writing this. This is the Spirit of God laying it open before them. This is where you are. It's like, look here, look, listen. This is where you are. Well, I just don't feel. That's because you have never ever allowed the appetite of truth to develop in your immature, infantile, spiritual life. That's what he's telling. He tells them that they are dull, that they are sluggish of thought, spiritually lazy, satisfied with all they, what they already knew, too immature to digest meat, and living on baby's milk. He tells them that they are unskilled, The Greek word is epiros, and it means inexperienced, without experience. And while they may have heard the word of righteousness, they had not lived in the truth of it to any great degree. They were inexperienced in appropriating the truth in living, and we all know that that has to be habitual, doesn't it? If you're not thinking in terms of his life and his presence in your daily living, moment by moment, if it's not the context of your life, then it is an accessory to your life. It is not your life. They had an acquaintance with the truth of the new covenant, but it was not yet the context of their living, which could explain why they were tempted to return to Judaism Because there they could live in an external righteousness that they put on. It's like those people who love to go to church and be a part of the fellowship and do all of those things, but really have no intimate relationship with the words that they sing, with the words that they hear from the word of God. Rather than living by faith in the righteousness of Christ, they were inexperienced. Why were they inexperienced? Because they were infants, napios, little children. Now we will look at our text for today and we'll attempt to cover chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. However, I will read verses 1 through 8. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. The author writes, Therefore, let us get past the elementary stage in the teachings about the Christ advancing on to maturity and perfection and spiritual completeness, doing this without laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, of teaching about washings, ritual purification, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and internal judgment. These are all matters in which you should have been proficient long ago. And we will do this, that is, proceed to maturity, if God permits. 
For it is impossible to restore to repentance those who have once been enlightened spiritually and who have tasted and consciously experienced the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted and consciously experienced the word of God and the powers of the age world to come and have fallen away. It is impossible to bring them back again to repentance, since they again nail the Son of God on the cross, for as far as they are concerned, they are treating the death of Christ as if they were not saved by it, and are holding him up again to public disgrace. For the soil that drinks the rain, which often falls on it, produces crops useful to those for whose benefit it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it persistently produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. Now, I will say that the Amplified, which I read from consistently, and as you know, they expand the word by taking from the Greek and expanding it. Now, the peculiarity of the excellence of the Greek is that there are many definitions for each word. And if you have a particular bent or disposition towards a certain doctrine, a certain thinking, uh, predisposition, if you will, then you can pick and cherry pick the Greek definitions that will take you along that pathway or will seem to affirm And that's what they've done here in the Amplified in a couple of occasions. So you will have seen me point that out. I'm not disagreeing with Scripture, so don't go out of here and say I'm rewriting it. No, I'm not. I am simply saying that they have chosen the wrong definition, and in some cases they have put words in there that don't exist in the original text. Now, before you get on the Amplified, I will say that every translation has its own issues. Okay, beginning in verse 4, he writes, For it is impossible to restore to repentance those who have once been enlightened spiritually and who have tasted and consciously experienced the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit. Now, again, in these verses, we have one of the principal arguments of those who deny the security of the believer. However, the original language uses the word adunatos, adunatos, which translated means unable to be done or impossible to restore. Now, what that would mean for those unfortunate people who uh, ascribe to the teaching that salvation is immiscible or you can lose it, is that they only get one chance at salvation. And once they mess it up, they don't get any more because it's impossible to restore them. You following that? It doesn't make any sense. Now, an Arminian will find room for argument, but that's what it says in the original language. Okay? Now, the first question you would deal with is, who is the author addressing here? And I I will say at the outset, I know that sometimes exegesis can be a bit dull. In this case, though, I think it's warranted, so please bear with me. Unfortunately, in modern Christianity, we think anything that's not simple and casual 
is uh, boring. But unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, this word to us and to the Hebrews is neither simple nor casual. So we're going to take it apart. We're going to address the Greek, and I will promise to mispronounce several of those words, okay? For all you Greek experts out there. All right. The first word you see there is for. Now, what does that indicate? It indicates that we're continuing where we left off in the previous verse. In verse 3, the author writes that he wants to press them on to maturity, right? He wants to push them on to maturity. And then he adds a very interesting caveat. He says, if God permits. Now, who would God not permit to press on to maturity? It doesn't make any sense. Who are we talking about? And so he continues with the exception in verse 4. The exception of those who would be pressed on to maturity. This is what he's addressing in verse 4, beginning with the word for. Those who have once been enlightened. Okay? And the word enlightened is fotizo. And in the Septuagint, this verse is translated, that word is translated to mean to be instructed, to have knowledge, meaning they were instructed in the doctrine of the gospel and understood it. But it is a natural comprehension, okay? It is an external teaching. The Amplified translates it differently, which only serves to add to the confusion. But it is not a spiritual knowing. It's not a spiritual gnosko. A spiritual knowing, which all of you could bear witness to, is an, an intimate awareness that is constant. It's not a singular event. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.